Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are continuing on our fall sermon series through the gospel according to John, and we've arrived at John chapter 4, and it's a familiar story to some, but it's not a familiar story to others. It's the story that's known as the story of the woman at the well, kind of a basic title, but there's a lot of background to this story that unless you're familiar with the story, it might elude you, and it might be helpful to know some of the background And we actually have to back up a couple of verses because we started at verse 7 and you actually have to back up to verses 4 and 5 that it talks about Jesus was in the southern part of this particular part of the world, Judea or Judah. And they were traveling to Galilee. And so typically for Jews, what they would do is they would go around this section called Samaria. Because they didn't want to be tainted by the Samaritans. Because the Jewish people had a long history, and we'll get into part of that in a little bit, with the Samaritans. But it would be like you, if you were to travel around Thanksgiving, like Meredith and I have sometimes done, and travel south, for example, and we would go to Tallahassee to see her sister spend the night, and then go on to see our son Daniel wife Natalie, and now grandson Simon. And if we were to travel around Thanksgiving, we would go around 95. Because we would want to avoid 95, and we would want to avoid Jacksonville because of the holiday traffic. But the Jews would want to avoid the Samaritans for a different reason. Because through the centuries... They had developed an antagonistic relationship with the Samaritans. It used to be at one time they were part of the same people. When the kingdom of Israel was united, that there was Judea in the south and there was Israel in the north, because of the separation, they began to develop this antagonistic relationship. And then the northern kingdom was conquered eventually. And then the people were taken away. And when they eventually returned... They became half-breeds. Not only did they become half-breeds, they started mixing their religion so that it wasn't quite the same as the Jewish faith. And not only that, if you look in the book of Nehemiah, for example, they actually became enemies, antagonistic. And so the Jews would look down on the Samaritans. In fact, the story of the Good Samaritan, you could sense The tension. And they were even referred to as dogs at times. That's how much they looked down on them. And so the Jews would not have any dealing with Samaritans. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in parts of the country or places that you have been. How the culture changes. I grew up in 
part of the city of Pittsburgh initially. My dad went to 10 years night school at Carnegie Tech, eventually became Carnegie Mellon. Then we moved to the suburbs. But we grew up initially in a section of the city called Sheridan. And at that time, we used to know everybody in the neighborhood. Everybody. And you could walk into each other's houses. The doors were open. And I mean, it was great. Hang out on each other's porches. I had several friends in the neighborhood. I mean, it's just wonderful to grow up in that neighborhood. Then when we moved, and eventually, for example, I would take Meredith back to show her my neighborhood and take my children back. It was not necessarily safe to walk around that neighborhood. It was amazing how the culture had changed in that neighborhood. And think about Jerusalem today. And how different peoples own, if you will, different sections of the city and how there's antagonism. Muslims actually own part of the city of Jerusalem. The antagonism there. That's what we're talking about. That's the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. So when most Jews would go around Samaria when they were traveling to Galilee, well, Jesus didn't do that. Not only that, I'm sure in, to a certain degree, there was this well called Jacob's Well. And for Jews at one time, that was a very significant place in their history and in their faith. And maybe Jesus wanted to visit there. Maybe he wanted to take his apostles there. We don't know exactly, but Jesus says, we're traveling through. It'll save us time. It's a neat place. I'll show you Jacob's Well. It'll be great. So they travel through Samaria. Interesting. Now there's cultural differences. And Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman. So not only are there cultural differences, now there's a whole nother layer. Because this is a woman. Not only is she a woman, she's coming out in the middle of the day. To get water. This is not the time that typically that people would come out to get water. And she came out by herself, not with a bunch of friends like most women would come out in the morning with all their friends. Get the water because the well is down in the valley. That's where the water gathers. And then they would have to walk back up the hill and carry the water. It's heavy work. And they would encourage each other. She's by herself. So there's another layer. So there's layer upon layer of cultural stuff and baggage. And this woman herself was carrying baggage. And you get this sense that Jesus would want to, and she even suggests he would want to, keep his distance. You know, it's interesting. When you go to other cultures, sometimes it's helpful to know the lay of the land with that culture. And there's certain things that you may want to do, and, and there are certain things you may want to avoid. I learned this in my missionary travels. That's the primary reason I go to other countries. Not the exclusive reason, but the primary reason. That you want to know the lay of the land when you go. I remember the first mission trip that I took. I was living in San Antonio, and we went to Mexico, and I was totally unprepared. Totally unprepared. And I learned a lesson at that point. 
It's really good to know what you're getting yourself into culturally. And so we started preparing the short-term missionaries for mission trips just to familiarize them with the culture and maybe a couple of do's and don'ts. And particularly as we started expanding when I arrived here 26 years ago and we started talking about mission trips and we learned about the culture of Dominican Republic and we learned about the culture of Honduras. And then eventually when we traveled to Tanzania, even more cultural things you would want to know about because of the mixture of Muslims and because of the different culture over in Africa. But you learn about the culture so that you don't put up false barriers when you're trying to interact with the people. We will still be Christians. We will still carry our message. But we don't want to ostracize or alienate the people for the wrong reasons. And that was important. And see, the tension between the Samaritans and the Jews, some of it was prejudice, some of it was hatred, some of it was unforgiveness. You have to remember that. That's the wrong reasons. And I remember when we went to the Dominican Republic, it was one of the first, one of our early mission trips. This was over 20 years ago. And when we went back and forth, it was interesting because some of our groups said, Greg, we know that you don't mind coming right back to the United States after you do a mission trip. But the cultures are so different. And the trip is so emotionally exhausting. Can we take a day just to talk about what we've experienced and decompress before we come back and talk about what we've experienced and all the differences and everything? And I said, sure, we can do that. So I turned the decision over to one of the group where we would go to decompress, like kind of a relaxing place instead of being at the mission site where we were serving. So one of our group chose a resort place to go to. And, you know, I have to, I have to throw one other thing out so that you really, really uh, understand what was going on at this particular place that we went to. Back over 20 years ago, this is before my eye surgery. Okay, this is an important part of the story. And I used to have 2,600, 2,800 vision. I had really bad eyes. And so the person that set up, Brenda remembers this. We just talked about this briefly before. Um, we, whoever set it up set us up to go to Sasua. And we stayed at this resort, Sasua by the Sea. And it's in Porta Plata province. And it was a wonderful place, beautiful place. And I remember I was hot and I was tired. And I was there with my wife and my daughter. And we went to the beach. And I immediately, you know, ran down, dove in, got up to the water up to my neck. And I was just kind of sitting there. And I saw two women come by, brunettes. I thought it was my wife and my daughter. Remember, I'm blind. Okay, this is important. So I start trying to engage these two women in a conversation because I can't see anything. And they started giggling and smiling and, you know, talked in a foreign language and just kept walking by. So I thought, okay. So I came back onto the land. And my wife said, why were you trying to engage those two women? And I said, I thought it was you and Bethany. And she said, did you know they were topless? (laughs) We were on a topless beach. 
not know that. I did not put my glasses on. I didn't know how to engage people at that point. Totally helpless. There was a cultural experience I didn't know how to overcome. So we didn't spend a whole lot of time on that beach. And I didn't know quite how to talk about Jesus at that point. The reality is, is that that's a unique situation, but cultural experiences can be unique in different ways. And Jesus, in the situation that he was in, he was going to engage this woman for the right reasons. Because this was a hurting woman, and he knew it. And he wasn't going to allow the barriers of prejudice and hatred and unforgiveness and the fact that she came out in the middle of the day because she was a broken woman. And probably the only friend or one of the few friends she had at that point that comes out in the story is the man she's living with. So Jesus does something that's really, really neat in order to begin the conversation. He asks her for a favor. He gives her dignity and worth. He says, I have a need that maybe you can help me with. I'm thirsty. That's wonderful. And she says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, and you need to catch what he's saying here. She's saying here, how is it that you, a Jew, are even willing to talk to me? Because there's an unspoken truth between the two of them. Jews look down on Samaritans. There's another unspoken truth. She knows that he knows that she wouldn't be there in the middle of the day unless she was a woman of some questionable character. So there's two reasons why he wouldn't or shouldn't address her. And he does. And she's in awe that he would do that. But much like last week, Jesus just doesn't let it sit there. Because Jesus knows what's going on with her. And last week we talked about with Nicodemus who is very different than this woman. He's one of the really privileged, religious, intelligent Jews of the upper class. And he talks about physical water, and Jesus is trying to make it a spiritual conversation. Jesus does the same thing here. He parlays this conversation about water to talk about a spiritual truth so that Jesus can get to the heart of her need. Not just his physical need, her spiritual need. That's what he drives at. Because he said there's something much more important going on here than just my thirst.
So Jesus seeks to bring conviction. Now, I just want to make one clarification here. Conviction is not the same as condemnation. And our culture sometimes confuses the two. Condemnation is about condescension. Condemnation is about judgmentalism. Jesus tries to bring the presence and person of the Holy Spirit into her heart because she needs conviction. It's obvious between both of them that she has a spiritual need, that she's broken. She's had five husbands. The man she's living with is not her husband. Jesus speaks the truth to her, and he speaks the truth in love without condemnation. He's just stating the reality. He knew her heart. And you know what she does? She does what so many people do when they're under conviction of the Holy Spirit. She tries to dodge it. She wants to get into religious controversy. She wants to start using religious arguments to evade her own need. How many people do that? Have you ever seen that? People do that all the time. She says at one point, basically, well, I perceive you're a prophet. Well, you know, there's greater prophets than you, like our ancestor Jacob. You know, she tries to dodge. She says, well, let's talk about the right place to worship. Maybe we can go there. She uses dodge after dodge. She wants to talk controversy. And Jesus wants to talk spirit and truth. That God wants to get to your spirit, not the superficial Not religious debate. But get to your heart, spirit. And he wants to deal with the truth of your life and the truth of who God is. And so he's willing to take it a step further. He says to her, you worship what you do not know. Pause there just for a second. Suppose you're talking to friends friends of yours who are not believers or who believe falsely. How many of you would venture out and say, you know you worship what you don't know? I'll bet that would go over real big in your circle. But it was truth. And Jesus was offering it in love. Because he knew her heart. Because he knew her brokenness. Jesus was seeking to bring the reality of her life and the reality of who God is for her. And then he says this most amazing statement, and you need to catch it. So she brings like the wild card in. You know, well, maybe we can put this off for a while. I don't really have to make a decision because we're just really waiting for the Messiah anyway, aren't we? And what does he say? I am he. Whoa. I am he. And by the way, there's really something a lot more going on here than you might catch. The Greek is ego me. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, 
When Moses says to God, who shall I say sent me? God says, ego me, I am. Jesus says the same thing. Jesus is saying at the same time, I'm God and I'm the Messiah at the same time. This is a powerful moment and it's not lost on this woman. See, we convey this in English with I am he, but Jesus is really saying, I am. I'm God. And I'm the Messiah. And I'm here for you. And it's the same thing he says to all of us. See, because this woman was broken. She had an obvious need. Nicodemus last week didn't have an obvious need. But he had a need all the same. That's why he came to Jesus. There was something missing in his life. And he knew it. And he tried to dodge it initially too. But eventually he was converted. And eventually this woman understood. And the other thing about this passage, and it's so wonderful the way it comes together, we're told that Jesus was tired and thirsty. He's fully human. And then we're told that he says, I am. He's fully God. And then he says, I am. He's the Messiah. All at the same time for this woman who's a broken woman. And she gets the whole picture that Jesus came to be our Savior and our Lord. And what does she do? She doesn't say, I don't think so. She runs and tells the town. She runs and tells the town. She knows in her heart, this is what I've needed. This is who I've needed. And just so you really catch it. Let me read to you the end of the story. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. In other words, she got it. Her testimony. She believed. You know, it's really interesting. When she came to that well that day, she had a hardened heart. But Jesus slowly just got a crack there. And by the power of the Holy Spirit... He broke into that hardened heart. You know, it's interesting. Throughout Scripture, you will see people with hardened hearts. And sometimes they allow Jesus to break in. And sometimes they don't. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they refuse to see who Jesus is. There was a rich young ruler who came up to Jesus one time. And we're told that he went away sad. He turned and walked away. Because he wanted to hold on to what was his. His way. 
But Jesus always wants to speak the truth in love to our situation, into our hearts, into our need. Let me read on. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. What she's saying, I was convicted, but I didn't feel condemned. I was touched by him, and I was changed. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. That's the reality. That's what he wants all of us to see. See, we all have that deep thirst that's more than a physical thirst. It's a spiritual thirst. It's a need for him to break into our hearts and to transform us. And it's our choice to allow him to wash over us and to meet that deepest need. To satisfy that deepest thirst. Let's pray. Lord, last week we encountered Nicodemus. who was religious and self-righteous. And yet had a deep need. He sensed something about Jesus that could meet that need. And this week we encounter a woman who was lost and knew it. And broken. And she had the same need. Lord, there are some here today who have never really been willing to expose that need to you. To come to you broken. Because of their hardened heart. Because of their unwillingness. Who have a deep thirst, a deep need. Lord, I pray this day that they would open their heart to you. To see the one who's come to satisfy our deepest thirst. To be our Savior and our Lord. And to transform our lives. And truly satisfy that deepest need. And Lord, for all of us, that we would be transformed by your grace and be your witnesses and testify. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us. That we would know you as that spring of living water.
that well that never runs dry to satisfy our deepest thirst. As our Savior and our Lord, this day and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.